what's up everybody um i don't normally do intros before the music comes on or anything but for this i want to just step in real quick and give a an apology for the sound quality over the last month my internet has been down so it's caused some issues with me doing remote recordings through Streamyard. so um the guests their quality is sound pretty okay Mine, on the other hand, has not. So I do want to apologize for that. And I want to thank you all for your patience and understanding and sticking around and listening. So um, if any of you are sound engineers or know anything about sound, got some pointers, shoot me a message, let me know. And I'll try to get it sorted out. But otherwise, thank you for your patience. Thank you for listening. And we'll get it fixed. Welcome to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Off Match Podcast. I, I just did this on my other podcast, and I don't even remember if I ever introduced myself, but you guys know who I am. We've been here for over 140 episodes, so you know who it is. So this week on the podcast, I want to welcome a new guest. So I like to have new guests. I like to have, you know, previous guests, too. But I just love having guests. I love talking to you guys and gals. So this week on the podcast, I'm going to be welcoming uh, Miss Jennifer Thompson. And Jennifer is a seasoned veteran martial artist. Uh, reading her blogs, uh, you know, I, I can see she she's done karate for upward of 18 years, which is, I mean, it's like a lot of karate. Um uh, Japanese jiu-jitsu, wrestling, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, so let's hear. So um just like to welcome Jennifer to the podcast, and hi, Jennifer, how are you? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for that lovely introduction. <laughs> it's nice to be here. Good. Glad to have him. Glad, um, you know, you made time to uh, sit here and chat with me and just Let's talk martial arts. Let's talk life. Let's just talk about Canada. Let's talk about you not not ever being on a podcast before. All the stuff that I read, I'm like, man, she should just have her own podcast. And she's going to be best online. It's something I have considered. Um, I guess I should give like a, a brief like background of myself in terms of martial arts stuff. So yes, I'm actually ma'am. entering my 23rd year of doing martial arts. Um so I've done karate for, yeah, so karate 22 years. Um, I first started in wrestling when I was 11, and I did that for, you know, a year, six months, and then we didn't have a wrestling team at school. So my mom said, oh, do you want to do karate? Then I started doing karate. Um, so I started in Shotokan in Chitoru. In Chitaru, I, I'm not sure how common it is in the United States, but it's pretty common here in Canada, particularly on the eastern coast um, and, and, you know, southwestern or, yeah, south, south Ontario. Um, and then I in high school, I also returned to wrestling uh, when I entered grade nine. Um, and I was doing karate at the same time. And then um, I would go on to get... Uh, my black belt in 2007 no 2011 i got my black belt in shotokan 
Um, and then a couple of years, no, one year later, I would get another black belt in a different style of karate called Kuro Uchanari Kenpo Jitsu, um, which is a very uh, self-defense, uh, practical-oriented style of uh, karate. And then uh, I would later do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I have my blue belt in that, and I also have my purple belt in Krav Maga. Um, I'm, I'm starting to find that I'm running out of things to be a beginner in. Uh, <laughs> I love being a white belt, so I, I might have to start Taekwondo soon. So yeah, it sounds like you're, you're like, collect, it's like Pokemon. It's like, you gotta, <laughs> gotta, gotta catch them catch all. Em all. <laughs> it's like, I'm sitting here like, as I think like, okay, what martial art is there that she hasn't done? Um, <laughs> that, that's impressive though. I mean, to have just that uh vast of a background in in combat sports periods um and it's interesting you know starting with wrestling and then moving to karate whereas a lot of times you'll hear people you know if someone starts in wrestling that's just the thing they do forever yeah and then they're hesitant to go anywhere else so that, that's interesting yeah, I was I was lucky enough to have a lot of different influences. So, for example, um, my uncle, he's uh, I think he's a fifth or sixth dan in Goju-ryu. So I was exposed to karate very early. Um, he used to put us in rid uh, wrist locks after dinner. <laughs> so like at, at my grandparents' place. Um, so I got interested in that. And of course, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was always a great influence as well. And then my brother... Um, my eldest brother, he was kind of coaching in the middle school. Um, and he came up to me and he's like, hey, you're kind of a butch girl. Why don't you start wrestling? <laughs> so um, I basically started my martial arts journey because of him. So that was a big influencing factor as a child. And then also growing up um, when we were younger, both me, well, me and both my older brothers, I have two older brothers, um, we were really... Uh, into pro wrestling um, they were they found it entertaining for a while um, and then because they liked it I liked it <laughs> um, and so I, I was a really big fan of that as well so I have like I would go to you know I would go to watch you know WWF and now WWE stuff all the time so that again was an influencing factor in me kind of pursuing wrestling as well when I was 11 I was like oh I really want to become like a a WWE superstar one day. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, you know, that's a dream, though. When all kids, we see WWF, WWE, it's like all the acrobatics. So, you know, I, I hear you. Yeah. Well, and also it's like, you know, with pro wrestling, there's so much, there's like more drama in it than a soap opera. It's like a soap opera for men. <laughs> And some yep. women really yep. like it too, but I imagine the main demographic for it is is males. I think over the years it's gotten more female fans involved. I, yeah. I feel like earlier on, back in the nineties, more so eighties, they they had like Wendy Richter and yeah. you know, uh, Nate uh, Young and and Fabulous Mula. You know, they're, they're kind of at the tail end, and then women's wrestling was gone. And then once we hit the 90s, they're like, hey, we have Medusa. Yeah. And it. 
Yeah, and it's been interesting to watch the development of that because I think, um, like, initially, like, for a while, some of the, and maybe this is still the case, but a lot of the female wrestlers were kind of eye candy. Like, they would be, or like, or at least the female characters, that for a while, they were just kind of, like, on the arms of, like, some of the, mm-hmm. like, the world champions and stuff like that. And nowadays, you see, you know, there's, like, the the female champion is there like a female tag team thing championship now with that too yeah they have it but i like i tune in for like the the big events so the times i do tune in like for the weekly show is kind of like a hey let me just see what's going on leading up and i'll see them mention the tag team women's champions yeah but i never see matches for okay so Um, well, it, it it's nice to see like it kind of come like to see it become more popular, and you know they're having their their kind of own kind of piece of the pie within uh, you know that yeah. industry, and that it's not just like oh okay they're they're just they're just there for to be ogled at you know they they're able to show off their skills, and that's awesome to see, um, and that's the same for like Brazilian jiu jitsu as well like. Um, now we're seeing a lot more women within the sports, which is awesome. I wish that there were more. For example, I want to go to I wanted to go to a tournament in a couple of weeks, but there's no one in my weight class, nobody at my belt level. So it's like I'm, I'm gonna pay and essentially maybe if I do go maybe get one match, which isn't great. Um, it would be nice to have a lot more women to kind of compete with because that's a lot of the time that's the only time I get to co- work with someone who's the same weight and level as me and that's probably the case for a lot of women because usually for us it's like there might be other women in the classes with you but they're going to be a lower belt generally or a higher or much higher belt depending on if you're lucky enough to have for example a woman black belt or a woman brown belt or they're they're not the same size like they're going to be significant for me generally a lot of the women are, are quite a bit smaller than me and then if you're working with guys then it, it's not it's like they it can sort of be even but generally not because men have you know more fast twitch muscle groups they're generally naturally stronger so the effort they might be putting in is not going to be matching mine and, and really the only time i'm able to to judge my skill levels is if i go into a tournament where i'm allowed to have all these variables be even for the exception and then it's just a matter of what the skill level is or who's fitter or who's better prepared which is something i really like about competing my um coach used to have me pair up with the female in our class which i never had a problem with that i, I think one of the things that he saw there that i was a safe training partner for her yeah and the the only issue that we really ran into is when she would go to compete at tournaments and she's going mm-hmm. up against other females. And, you know, she's kind of familiar with me because, you know, we we train almost exclusively together. You know, she get other roles in with other people. Yeah. But, you know, we, you know, we kind of played our favorites towards each other. But the thing is, when she would go compete, then she's going against women who move a lot differently. And, yeah. you know, you're going to go against people who move different regardless. But, you know, the women move have a lot more energy. They, they're more high pace. 
Whereas with she and I, it was really a matter of, you know, we're trying to match technique and we're moving slow. And mm. it, it was kind of a detriment for her. Right, right. Yeah, well, that's like one of the things is like, I'm probably one of the slowest moving people in the world. If you put me in one direction at a consistent pace, I'll go forever. But I do, if as far as like explosiveness, it's like I have to work really, really hard to build that. Um, I just don't. Like, I'm not genetically inclined. I don't have a lot of fast twitch muscle groups. It's like I, I have a lot of slow moving muscle groups. And one of the things, like, I know a lot of people, like, when they're competing, they're like, oh, they try and go to a lower weight class. I'm always trying to go to the a higher weight class because I know generally people are going to move, like, bigger women and bigger people move a little bit slower. And I prefer that. <laughs> Again, that's not always the case, and definitely not at the higher levels. But, um, like, I I prefer to be very, very like when I'm practicing, I'm I try to do things smooth and slow, because smooth and slow eventually becomes fast because you become very efficient with the movement patterns. But yeah, yeah. I, I totally hear where you're coming from with that. And like uh, me and my husband, we're relatively the same size. Um, so we'll often work together and also we've like, we, we met in karate. So we've been training together for a very, very long time. So when we're able to work together, we're able to break down the movements that really work for us. And we kind of understand how the, each person learns and where we can also communicate yeah. how to fix things in a, in a way that we both understand, which kind of facilitates the learning process, which is nice. Sorry, I'm going on a tangent there. <laughs> Nah, you're good. So when you know when you look at where you're at in jiu-jitsu right now, and just having the history that you've had, you know we know wrestling plays a factor there for you. Um, how is karate? You know, you know, have you brought anything over from karate to help you in your jiu-jitsu journey? Um, just in the sense of because. Yeah, it's obvious karate is a choking sport. It's, you know, a stand-up, you know, fighting sport, whereas grappling is jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu specifically, uh, or all jiu-jitsu really, is a grappling sport and on the ground more, more so than anything. Was there anything that you could connect from karate that transitioned you into jiu-jitsu? Yeah, there was a lot of things. So a lot of people don't actually know that, like, Karate, before it became a sport, did have quite a bit of grappling in it. Mm. It has what's called a practice called tagumi, which is hand grappling. So kumite, if you're, is what's called sparring in karate. So that's what you would see what was, I think it was a part of the Olympics uh, recently. Um, but when you switch kumite and then switch it around in Japanese, the K turns into a G and it becomes tegumi. And that becomes clashing hands um, or grappling hands. So, and that's like a lot of pulling, grabbing, clinching, the same that you would see in jujitsu or wrestling. Um, and Okinawa is known for doing, it's like, they'll call it Okinawan wrestling or Okinawan sumo. And so naturally with that, you're, it's going to be an influencing factor. Like historically, it was an influencing factor on karate. Yeah, and so a, a lot of people don't really know that. <laughs> but yeah, karate also originally o did always have grappling within it. Um, it was only after the Meiji Restoration 
when they basically wanted to turn karate into a sport. And this was like a time in Japan when they were going from, so for example, jiu-jitsu, which was a, a form of military training for the samurai, it turned into judo, which was the way of the gentle way, whereas before it was the gentle art. And then for karate, um, which was actually called just Tay, it was um, it was actually originally known as Chinese hand, but because it's they wanted to promote karate to the mainland, they couldn't call it Chinese hand because of the conflicts between Japan and China. So they changed it to the meaning to empty hand, which is now karate. Um, and then after it became karate do, and everything was associated with kind of like the spiritual mission essentially it's, it was hopefully I, I, i'm explaining this properly my um my t- karate teacher he's a one of the main karate historians in the world so he's probably shaking his head in shame <laughs> as i try to explain this i used to have a better memory for for karate history but um yeah so it um karate has had a, a very big influence on my brazilian jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu practice um, the other thing in karate, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term bunkai. I am not. Okay. So bunkai is essentially, so if I'm going to try and explain this um, in layman's terms. So you know what kata is, like karate kata? Yes. Okay. So that's like the, the dance that a lot of people, or what people perceive to be kind of a, a, a dance. Um, so this is the solo practice that you you'll see in almost all martial arts really but people most associate with the the east asian martial arts so for example in taekwondo you'll see it in kung fu and karate and so bunkai is essentially means study and so it's uh, a lot of people interpret that term to mean that's the basically the meaning of the movements so for example if you see someone shadow boxing you know that that's meant to represent a two-person exercise when people are boxing in a match, right? So bunkai is essentially the same thing. Um, the actual um, people misterm it as bunkai, but really the, the term is should be called oil. And so for that, you'll see applications for these solo drills everywhere. So for example, you'll see throws, which makes sense because the creator of judo and the the person, the main person who kind of popularized karate, which is Gichin Funakoshi, they were close friends. So it would make sense to see throws within karate because these two knew each other. And so a lot of the, the applications are the bunkai that in karate are often throws or other forms of grappling. So when I was coming up through martial arts, I was lucky enough to have a sensei. He was a, a black belt in jujitsu. Um, so we were already doing ground stuff in karate, um, not to the extent of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, of course, but, you know, basic ground techniques, you know, how to do an arm bar, how to do a choke, basic positioning. We were we were getting all that information there and also learning hip throws, um, all a bunch of different styles of throws. So Kataguruma, which is fireman throw, single leg takedowns, which I, I was already getting from wrestling anyways, but... We were also learning it there and also like a strong focus on break falls. So there was that. Um, so I was lucky enough to be able to transition a little bit easier. Um, also within 
the other style of karate that I ended up doing, which was Kuru Uchinari Kempo Jutsu. Um, so I'm a third Dan under uh, Patrick, Sensei Patrick McCarthy. Um, and he developed all these two-person drills, which includes, you know, everything that you would pretty much see in um, any martial arts. So there's striking, throws, joint locks, uh, chokes, you know, pretty much everything. And they're all set up into two-person practical drills. And so that, of course, was uh, extremely helpful in terms of just walking in and already knowing a lot of the techniques. So already knew an armbar, already knew a kimura, already knew a ver- variety of leg locks. Really, for Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it was just a matter of learning how to apply them effectively and rolling, which is the hardest part. <laughs> when, for us, they were in drills and we can learn them in a sequence. But you only really get good at doing all this if you're actually working it in aggressive resistance. And so we we were able to do a lot of that within our karate practice as well. But the difference is um, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is that we get more of the connecting pieces just through the regular practice of it. And also, I don't know what it is about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts, but I really feel like they can see the matrix. <laughs> It's like they're so good at, at just finding a, like their ability to be so efficient in tight positions is, is outstanding. And I wish I was able to do it. <laughs> I want to be like that. Me as well. My coach this week in class, one of the students was asking about, he was asking about one of the moves that we're working on. And our coach was basically saying, you know, it's hard for him to verbally explain it. So that's why he's always like, here, come here. Like, he'll always plead to the floor and say, show me. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the uh, my teammate was asking, was like, you know, what do you think, you know, when you're doing a move, you know, what's your thought process? And my coach was like, nothing. I'm not thinking. Right. He's like, you have to be thinking something. He's like, no. And then he explained, that's why when you ask me, you know, about a certain position, you know, we can't verbalize it, but I'll say, you know, show me. And so, you know, when he explained that to me, that that's when this week, actually, is when the whole Matrix thing clicked in my head, too. I was like, oh, my God, this dude speaks in Matrix. He doesn't talk. He moves. (laughs) That's the other thing. Sorry, I I was going to mention this specifically so with um doing koru uchinari um i was what was really nice learning about that is that it broke down and explained how things work from a more scientific perspective so if we look at it it, it's really basic physics Um, i'm not a physics major in any sense but it, it breaks it down so for example if you look at, you know, there's three different types of levers. There's like class one, class two, class three. I think class one lever would be an arm bar. So basically for any lever, there's the fulcrum, there's the load, and then there's the actual lever. Um, so for example, with an arm bar, the load is the body. And then the fulcrum is where your hips are. And then the lever is the arm. And so learning that, that helped so much in terms of understanding just all 
martial arts elements. For example, it's like I could watch someone, I could see where someone's being inefficient with the technique just by understanding how a lever works and a different types of levers there are, for example, and then also understanding inclined planes and wedges. Like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is just like people call call it framing, but what it is is a wedge. So when I look at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I just see like triangles everywhere. And that's why I like the symbol for um, yeah. a lot of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu clubs is a triangle because that's what it is everywhere um, because the triangle is the strongest shape. So it, it makes sense that you would see it everywhere. For example, just like a basic guard escape, when you put your hands on the hips, put your knee behind their butt, and then you you kind of scooch back and bring one knee back, like you're just using a wedge. Um, the same way, and that works the same way as if you put, if you want to pre- prevent a car from moving, you put two wedges behind the wheels, and then it doesn't go backwards, right? Or it doesn't go the direction, right? It stops it. Yeah. Same thing when you want to keep a door open. When you were in school, you would see people put little wooden triangles underneath the door to stop it from moving. And that's exactly what you want to do in jujitsu. <laughs> that's how you create space is by using a wedge or an incline plane. Yeah, so we, we've always looked at the the five ancient machines. So, for example, there's the screw, which is just another example of a wedge, except it's turning. There's an incline plane, which, again, it's just a wedge. <laughs> there's wheel and axle. There is pulleys. Um, and then, of course, the levers, right? So pulleys, you would see, for example, like an arm throw. If you want one part of the pulley to go up, you have to pull on this side. And that, again, is just another example of a different type of lever, except it's with a rope. <laughs> yeah, so that that's another example of that. But going back to what you were saying about seeing the matrix um, and him saying it's like, oh, I don't really have to say anything um, or I'm not sure what to say. I, I have to do it. And that's kind of like. They've just done it so many times that it becomes second second nature, right? And that's really cool to see. And they in watching two people kind of be in a state of like watching someone being in a state of flow is so nice to see. And also when you're doing it yourself, it's a wonderful experience. So for one of my favorite things, and I mentioned this is one one of my blogs, I called Dojo Disillusion Disillusionment. <laughs> Sorry, my, my voice is getting a little bit tired. But um, in that one, it mentions like, you know, the reason why we do this stuff is so we can have that moment when we get a throw just right. It's like, it's so easy when, if you're doing striking, when you hit something and it feels like you're hitting nothing, but there's a huge impact. Like that's some of the best moments you can have when it's like, oh, that just worked so nicely (laughs) and it feels so good to get it right. Yeah, that's one of the, the best experiences you can have. It, it just even, you know, the basic, the most basic of jujitsu, you know, early on or even up to current. I know for myself, I just uh, hit a scissor sweep on a teammate, and I've been trying to scissor sweep this dude for years, <laughs> and I, like it just worked. And I was like, oh my, like. Like, I lost so much focus because I got it because I was so excited. Like, I got to sweep and then he just popped back up. Like, I didn't think to, like, secure the position or anything. I was just like, oh, my God, I got 
that works. And yeah. oh snap, I was supposed to actually now follow him. But yeah, there's you know, whenever you just get the move, especially when you've been working hard on him, you've been training, drilling, not just drilling the move itself, but drilling the concepts of it and and different transitions. And then when you catch it, it's like, okay, I'm going for it here. It's not working, but then you catch it all for another transition. There's just this, like, this feel to it where you're like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. It's so zen when you experience that because it's just, well, I know sometimes, like, I've, you know, been rolling, not really thinking about it, and then all of a sudden, like, the technique will just come out naturally. Uh, and then I was like, oh, shit, that happened. That's amazing. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, right, I got still I still need to keep grappling. But it's like you have a moment like, oh, I did it. <laughs> yeah. And I think I hit a double leg once on, on a teammate. And I mean, my coach saw it, too. And I was so excited. I was like, yes. Nice. <laughs> he was a big fella, too. And it, it, it mattered none. I followed him. And I didn't think like, you know, again, you hit the double leg, you know, go ahead and work yourself to side control. Nope. I hit the double leg and just got rolled right over. Mm. And, you know, my coach even called it out. She was like, oh, no, 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 no. And I was like, yep, (laughs) that just (laughs) happened. But, you know, it's still good to know I was able to do it, you know, because that helps at least build that, that momentum in your mind, that confidence. And you say, okay, I was able to do it here. You know, whereas before you might have been hesitant to try it, and it's like just go, just go, and then once you go, you get it. It's like okay, you you may not get it every time, but you know that you can, and you know there's such a a magic to that that I I can't explain it, but I know when I feel it, I, I feel like man, I'm gonna go home and tell my wife. <laughs> yeah, it's uh. It's nice to to get something right, particularly when you've been working on it for a while. I feel like, so it's like I got my blue belt and um, there's this, something funny about like training. Because I, I remember when I first started, I felt like I was getting, I was improving a lot faster. And I guess that's why they called the blue belt blues is like, you kind of feel like you reach a little bit of a plateau and like i feel like i'm not it's not that i'm not improving i'm learning new techniques but they're not all in me yet if that makes sense like they're not second nature yet and i still kind of feel like like if i do beat someone i'm not beating them with jujitsu i'm just out wrestling them um and i feel like that got me pretty far as a white belt at least in tournaments and now I need to like really make sure my technique is solid because it's like it as a white belt, it's like, okay, I'm going to take them down, maintain top position, which is a very wrestling oriented strategy. <laughs> Whereas like, I feel like I really need to start really, really focusing more on the bottom. Um, It's been a little bit difficult because I have a rib injury. So it's like, I am kind of afraid because it, it does it's very uncomfortable and rib injuries take a, a very long time to heal but for the past couple of weeks i'm like okay i gotta i gotta get used to the bottom 
particularly since I've been avoiding it for a little while. And so I think that's really key for me to just get better because <laughs> it's like jujitsu is all about being on the bottom um, and being on the ground. So I got to I got to figure it out. Yeah, that you know, I I can kind of relate to, you know, when when you beat somebody, you get them with a sweep or you know you get a takedown or anything or holding you know holding side control. I've had those moments where I have to say to myself, say, you know, that wasn't necessarily your jujitsu that did that for you, as much as it was your you know football or you know some right. something else from you know your athletic. Uh, past where you know there are moments when I know that oh that was jujitsu. They like if I you know shoot for a triangle or you know if I get you know if I you know if I did you know like a, a cross collar choke or something like that, and it's like okay, like th there was nothing from my past playing football that connected that. That was me, you know, actually doing the moves and people flowing with it so i just wish that i was at that level like my coach which he's been doing it for a very long time but i wish i was at that point where it's just a movement now and not so much thinking because that's where i always freeze up paralysis by analysis yeah yeah speaking to you know using other things other than jujitsu i was listening to um, I can't remember his last name, but his Instagram account is BrandonMC.Ninja. Um, and he was discussing yeah. that if you have to use strength while you're rolling, if you have to use, you know, something other than the techniques, then you're not practicing jujitsu. And I was like, yes, that makes perfect sense. Because if you're overpowering someone then you're practicing strength. Um, and that's not the reason you're there. You're there to learn and practice jujitsu. So your focus should be trying to use as much technique as you can against each person. So if like you only want to use as much strength that is necessary to make the technique work. So in, or in that sense, it would be like only use enough strength on when you're trying to create distance like for example if you're in side control you don't want to use so much strength that you essentially push the other person over but you want to use enough strength that you're creating the space in order to move on to the next technique same thing with like if you're doing i find this a lot with like white belts that even if they're in your guard they still go after your neck <laughs> and they like hold your neck really hard yeah. And it's like, I'll tap to that because it's really uncomfortable and you are hurting my cervical spine, but it's not jujitsu. If I was in a fight, I'd probably be able to, I'd be fine with that because it's not going to do any real permanent damage. But when I'm rolling, it's like, I'll tap to it because one, it it's hurts and I don't want to wake up with a, a hurt neck tomorrow. And so, yep. Yeah, hopefully that makes sense. What I'm saying. <laughs> no, it makes perfect sense. I, I, I agree. You no, know, and the thing is with the white belt too. When they get that that tap, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, I tap the blue belt or I tap, you know, you know, a guy who's been training longer. And he's like, yeah, I mean, and you know, then you sound like a dick because you're like, yeah, but you weren't really using jujitsu, dude. 
it was just uncomfortable. Trust me. Then all of a sudden, you look like the bad guy, and it's like, well, fuck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's funny with jujitsu. Like you get a lot of egos in all martial arts. Um, I feel like with jujitsu right now is that you do get quite a bit of machismo <laughs> um, from people coming in. That's probably because people see UFC. They want to yeah. be like that, right? They want to be the tough guy. And what they don't understand is that what we're doing in the gym, jiu-jitsu, whether it's jiu-jitsu, karate, taekwondo, this isn't real violence. It's just not. <laughs> Like, it is in the sense that, yes, if you go all the way, you'll break someone's arm. Um, yes, if you hold, like, a, a rear naked choke for, for an extended period of time and deny blood flow to the brain, will they die? Yes. But generally, when we're practicing, we practice in such a way that it's safe, or at least we should be. And so in that sense, it's more we're playing violence in the same way, like, um, when a child jumps on a broom and says, oh, I'm riding a horse. In their mind, they're riding a horse. But in real life, they're they're riding a broom. And so in martial arts, it's very much the same thing. When it's like, I'm when I have a real naked choke, I'm thinking about, okay, I'm really trying to apply this because I'm imagining a self-defense scenario. But when you but in reality, I'm slowly applying it because I need to keep you safe. I need to keep my partner safe. Um, and so really, and I, I've said this multiple times with multiple people, it's like often when we're, whether we're sparring in karate or in boxing, or if we're rolling in, in jiu-jitsu, it's like, this is an act of play and is not real violence. It's more like theatrical violence in the sense that you pray, play one role and I'm playing a different role. And um, our goal is to make it as realistic as possible, but in a safe way so that we can all go home, see our families, have dinner have a margarita, <laughs> etc. It kind of almost really ties back to pro wrestling, though. I mean, you know, even in, in that sense, yes, the moves are choreographed, but, you know, they're still doing the moves in a safe manner. You know, and but, you know, and, and I know anyone listening, you know, you know th- there's probably someone screaming now, jiu-jitsu and pro wrestling aren't at all the same. Like, to some degree, I mean, in the training room, you're practicing in a way, you know, to keep each other safe, but you're still trying to make sure that you're executing the move properly. I mean, like Damian Maya has said before, one of the things about jiu-jitsu that he loves is that, you know, with this art, you can spar with a partner at near, you know, full capacity without hurting them. And yeah, Exactly. You know, I've tried to explain that to my friends who don't train, Mm -hmm. where it's like, you know, you and I can grapple on this, you know, on this basement floor right now. And, you know, I won't hurt you at all. Now, they may hurt me because, you know, they don't know, you know, you know, it's that spazzy white belt thing. They don't know. But, you know, the, the ideal is the person who knows what they're doing should be in control and should be able to. Yeah. And now imagine now you got two people who know what they're doing and you're all in control. So that that is one of the the nice things about doing jujitsu is that it everyone can 
if they're if they're doing it correctly um <laughs> can't go home safely obviously accidents happen from time to time you know when we practice it's always a gentle balance and actually i wrote a blog about this recently i just haven't promoted it yet and it's just called what is what is violence and it talks about how we have to walk this line of not going too far into realism because that's when people get hurt and we're actually entering into real violence and aka assault and then if we we go too far the other way then we're kind of entering into the realm of mcdojo where we're we're it's not nothing's real at all and people fall over for no reason like without any 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 real pressure um, and that's not good either. And that can also be dangerous because then people have an unrealistic sense of safety. So the, I, I believe that in order for someone to be a good black belt, and by black belt, I mean instructor, like any good instructor, they do need to have a certain amount of experience being in the atmosphere and understanding, you know, what does real violence look like? What does someone playing possum look like? How do you encourage someone to to be more aggressive and put more pressure or to be in the right position so that the other person can do the te technique correctly and practice correctly? Um, you do need to have that experience. And so I, I generally think that it should take longer to get a black belt because one, it you want to make sure that the person has a sense of responsibility. Um, so there needs to be an element of maturity there. And two, um, they need to have the, the experience. Like, there's no substitute for time. Um, and so you need to have years in in order to, to really understand the techniques being used and how to control those techniques and control a room of people practicing those techniques um, and to be able to identify risks very quickly because um, otherwise... It, can become a liability as a as a gym owner and also you're just in general making sure that everyone stays safe again i hope that makes sense <laughs> it makes perfect sense well, at least it makes sense to me I, I feel like our listeners you know they get it they're, they're with us <laughs> um i i oftentimes find myself on the mat yeah i put up a post recently and it was talking about I reposted it from someone who was talking about like the different grapplers you see in the gym. And one of them was the talker. And, you know, there are a few people saying, oh, man, I'm a talker. And I started things like, damn it, I think I'm a talker. But I think as I start really like paying attention to my roles, I think I talk because if I'm not talking, I'm thinking too heavy on the move. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, Playful, you know, I wanted to be playful, but I also want to make sure that, you know, we're all getting a good look, you know, that so I, I was thinking of it. I was like, man, I need to like approach this in a way where it's like it's life or death. And I was like, well, I can't do that because now I want to bite somebody. It's like <laughs> there, there's this weird like level where it's like, you know, a, as a uh, martial arts practitioner, period, you know having that middle ground where you understand like look i'm practicing i'm trying to keep my team safe um you know versus and even in the competition you know most most of us competing on the weekend you know there's work on monday so you know going out there and getting your 
your ACL torn from a hill hook is not ideal. So yeah. as a no, black woman, we all have to have to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. But then there's also that transition to what if you're in a, a situation where you are having to use self-defense, like legitimate self-defense, um, you know, that on-off switch has to be able to, you know, turn turn on when it's time to really defend. So I, I think when it comes to martial arts, you know, a lot of people on the outside see the physicality of it, but there's a lot of mental to it as well. Huge. Um, yeah, absolutely. One of uh, um, a gentleman I I've I speak quite regularly to, and he's a he's a well versed martial artist as well. Talks about bringing out your inner mongrel, which I think is kind of a nice nice of way of putting that. You you do have to have that switch. I feel like competition does help with that because it's like you you learn how to turn on like go time. It's like now to be like this is it. And you've just put in a lot of extra effort. And one of the good things about competition is it's like it's a level of intensity that you do not get in any other situation except in a real life self-defense situation, which would be even higher in intensity because the there's so much more on the line. In a tournament, you're just kind of worried about is more your your pride and whether or not you, you get a, a medal at the end of the day. Yeah, it, it's uh yeah definitely very mental for example so for for me wrestling like i did it for so long but uh, i don't think i was ever as accomplished as i could have been because i generally i have a tendency to psych myself out and uh throughout my years wrestling i would do that a lot like people would say oh you're gonna like people would predict that i would you know win nationals but i never did because i would kind of be like i'd freak out <laughs> like i'm like oh i can't do it I have so many self-doubts and i didn't learn how to yeah. have like positive self-talk um like i i did well at at some tournaments like um like i got first place at, at regionals a couple of years top six in the province um a couple of years as well um and so for me, it's like it was o- always mental. And then going into jujitsu, I like finally learned how to overcome this. And so like to say, no, you're going to do great. You're awesome. All this stuff. <laughs> like I have to like hype myself up and really try and believe it. But then I had a tournament at the end of January, which is my first tournament in a while <laughs> at least in jiu-jitsu so i competed quite a bit um like i did a couple of tournaments in 2019 i think i did one in 2020 but nothing really since then and so it was my first and it was my first tournament at blue belt as well and so usually my strategy going into a tournament is to kind of out cardio my opponents but i i had my cardio was crap <laughs> going into it and so I I ended up losing and also I didn't have that same mental preparedness this time I I still had those self-doubts from when I was a teenager which was an interesting psychological experience for me because I was like oh I have returned to like old patterns and I need to to fix this which was and that's really important um to be able to to see that and acknowledge that and say okay this is something I need to start working on again so yeah, so now I'm trying to work on kind of getting back into to believing in my technique and believing in myself. So 
yeah. That's all, so, I, that's all I got on that. <laughs> so you think, though, with, you know, kind of having that different uh, sense of confidence, I guess, you know, once you got to jujitsu, you know, if that, you know, kind of was a matter of, you know, just maturity, having been through experiences, and then as you get older, and, you know, not even so much in competition, but just matters of life, you know, you get mm-hmm. to a point where it's like you start kind of, having better self-talk throughout your years. And then here you are, you know, in jujitsu and it's like, oh, okay, wait a minute. This is what that's about. But then those old habits start trying to creep back in. So, yeah, I mean, um, when people talk about discipline, they kind of think about it as like just a physical thing, but um, discipline applies a hundred percent just to your, your everyday thinking patterns whether it's, you know, your confidence in regards to getting a job or doing martial arts or speaking to your, your boss, um, whatever it might be, you know, it, it's a, I think jujitsu does help with that too, or martial arts in general is that it helps you to build your, your confidence in your ability to just address stressful and conflicting situations. And so for me, like, I guess I kind of I've I've reached a point of a little bit of complacency because uh, I'm feeling a little bit older and slower. And so I've kind of just been relaxing and going with the flow. Um, and so I, I'm kind of reaching the point where I need to, like, pick things up again <laughs> and start challenging myself again. Only when you challenge yourself do I think that you start to, to build your confidence because that's when you realize, yes, I can do this. Yes, I can do this difficult thing. If you're not challenging yourself, then it's like you're not moving. There's a Chinese cool. there's a Chinese saying that says um, forwards is life, backwards is death. Um, so you always want to move forward, <laughs> um, which is a great philosophy on just strategies in terms of fighting. So generally you want to have a slight forward lean. Um, you don't want to be leaning backwards because you're going to be, it's easy to get tossed off balance. Um, and also just in life, you always want to make sure you're, you're moving in the right direction um, and not backwards. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I think like my wife and I were just talking about that uh, about two weeks ago, uh, you know, being younger and just looking at where we came from in terms of like, oh, we got our first apartment and we were both barely making any money. And now look at us making all this money. You know, and there's this idea of like through all those years, always moving forward. And it, it like we couldn't even imagine the thought of like, okay, let's, you know, go back to 2003 when, you know, we're, you know, a couple of young, young cats out there, you know, like making $7 an hour and saying, okay, you got an apartment. Um, like I couldn't imagine that now. So yeah, you always you know want to be progressing forward and and just bettering yourself. You know, whether it be you know uh, martial arts or podcasting. Yeah, definitely. Um, you with seven dollars an hour, you could afford an apartment. <laughs> like, well, it, I mean, this was like two thousand one, two thousand two, so. Like we could barely do it, and we ended up having to move back home eventually. I think we moved back home 
2004. I think she moved back home December of 2003. And then I moved out after the Super Bowl. So February of 2004. And we kind of went back home, recollected ourselves, started building our money back up, and then moved out again in 2007. And for me, I know when I moved out, my grandparents changed my room. The very next day, was like, yeah, you're not coming oh. back. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> they called and was like, hey, so can you come over and help us move some shelves? I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll be over uh, right after work. And I got there. It was already done. They're like, nope, <laughs> we're not waiting. We're not hesitating. Just to make sure. My now, mom, she just recently, because me and my husband, we just bought a house. And uh, she she's just been sending a whole bunch of stuff over that I'm like, okay, now now I have to, it's all in my storage. I, I have to kind of go through everything and figure out what I want to get rid of. Ah, trust me, I, I know that a little too well, too. Like, <laughs> once we bought the house here, like when we moved out, we were renting for, I think, 07 to, yeah, 16. So nine, nine years, we were renting um, a little townhouse. And um, then our daughter was born, and it was like, okay, my wife's like, we need a bigger place. I was like, no, we, we're fine. I'll just, I'll take the weights out of the, the second bedroom. I'll sell them, and we'll turn the weight room into a, into a bedroom for the kid. She was like, no, we need, we need a bigger house. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll figure out how to buy a house. And I forced Gump my way into that. But <laughs> as soon as we got the house, Every weekend she'd go visit her parents and she'd come home with a trunk full of more totes and boxes. And I was like, dude, like, no. <laughs> they, at one point, the basement was just full of stuff, like just boxes down here. And like, I think we still have a bunch in the back wash, like in our little utility room where the washer is. And we have stuff in the attic. And I'm like, none of this stuff is ever going to get opened. Like, what are we doing? Like, <laughs> Yeah, stuff accumulates quickly. It really does. Yeah, we have so much. Oh, I'm stuff. sorry. No, I was just gonna say we have a we have a lot of stuff that I was like, it's mostly me. My husband's very good with being clean and getting rid of stuff. Most of the stuff we have in storage is my stuff <laughs> that I need to get rid of. I wonder if that's a, a thing, though, of guys just being like, so I think we have that that part of us where we want to hold on to stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's this other part was like, just throw it away. Don't look at it. Just throw it out. If you look, you're going to get attacked. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I look at my basement right now. I mean, I collect action figures and my walls are lined with action comic book, uh, comic books, comic book action figures, you know, things like that. But it's controlled. It's like, you know, there's a, a purpose to, to this collection. Um, versus before I would just, there used to be a point where I would just randomly, actually I kind of still do. Like I buy a lot of weird recording equipment and I only use like, like a couple different things. But meanwhile, if you, you know, were to see the background or, um, under the couch, I have like a little storage area under the couch. It's like all these extra microphones, like none of them are matching you know, all these tables, some of them are the wrong ones, but it was when I was experimenting trying to figure out what's what. Yeah, yeah. So I think guys, we like guys, we do it too, but it's just in this weird way where it's like, um, all right, I wanted to do this, 
I'm just going to keep it because every guy has a drawer full of cables. <laughs> we refuse to give up because we're like, I might need that cable one day. And the funny thing is my internet crashed. I threw away a box of stuff and it turned out one of them had an old modem that I thought was oh. no good. Was good. And I was like, oh, I still have that modem. I go downstairs and I was like, I went into, I went into my cable drawer and the modem was gone. And I just walked up with my head hanging and I oh, said, I critical mistake. <laughs> <laughs> it, but but it's it's that the hoarder's worst fear. It's like, oh no, I can't put it away because I'll need it. And yeah. I needed it. Yeah, I know. That's the worst. <laughs> That's like um it's like you'll learn a really cool technique from like a random instructor and you're like, Oh, that's so cool. I'm never going to forget that. And then one day you need it and you're like, ah, oh, fuck. What was it? <laughs> it would be really handy if I had this one technique that I knew was meant for this position, but I can't remember what it is. <laughs> like they'll have your back and you're like, I know exactly what to do from. Oh no. No, no. I, I, uh, no. I'm getting choked. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it, like I think when you know we do martial arts, when when you know we engage in any hobby or activity, like this is going to take a lot of dedication and a lot of care and love. You know, you you have those moments where you want to test yourself, and then the road test becomes that game of you know that that positive self talk. Versus self sabotage. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm um, definitely guilty of the self sabotage. Yeah, I am. I am too. Um, you know, if you look at any uh, one of uh, my um, professor for BJJ, Louise, he was saying one of the first conversations I've really had with him. Um, it was me, him, and my husband. Um, he's also. Uh, a black belt in karate as well as in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and we got into the conversation that for someone to get their black belt in anything has to be very very stubborn because <laughs> usually it takes like cool. 10 years and so yes they need to be dedicated yes they're they're passionate about what they do but they're also extremely stubborn <laughs> fair fair um i never even thought of it that way uh, the Maybe that's my problem. I, I don't know that I'm stubborn, but my daughter is. So. Oh yeah. Look at that. I, I see her future. Future black belt right there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then the second part of that discussion is that one of the reasons that you see so much splintering of different organizations or different clubs, so is that you'll have a group of stubborn people who are black belts or senior belts. And naturally, there's going to be some type of conflict because you have a group of people who are dedicated, passionate, and stubborn. And naturally, conflict is going to come from that. And sometimes politics. It just, that's the way way it is. Unless you have someone who has enough awareness to say, okay. Like, sometimes you, you need to be the person who stands up for things. And sometimes you got to learn how to, to let things go. Um, and that's when you have things work a little bit better when people know how to create balance but yeah it's like you'll always see a lot of politics and conflict within different clubs and, and martial arts systems 
just because everyone's extremely stubborn. <laughs> yeah. Or that yeah. or has a big ego. <laughs> I was just about to say, I feel like part of that stubbornness is ego. I mean, I, I, I think we kind of see a little bit of it playing out right now um, in the jiu-jitsu community with Gordon Ryan and Nikki Rod right now going back and forth on Instagram at each other about, you know, uh, PEDs and, you know, just, you know, one saying one thing, the other one's, you know, saying, well, so, you know, you do it too. It's like, like, no, I'm, I'm taking the test. I'm clean. It's like, yeah, you're clean right now. You know, and it's just like this, this back and forth, like, or just chill. Like, just have a match, have another match. That's, that's, yeah. that's it. Like, yeah, jujitsu is funny. Well, a lot of sports are funny that people feel the need to take some type of performance enhancing drug, but that again, it's no longer the jujitsu anymore. If you're doing that now, it's yeah. something else. <laughs> um, but I, when you're competing and um, there's money on the line, it's I think very natural for people wanna wanna. You know, they'll do whatever it takes to win, essentially. So, well, I mean, if you don't have any agency that's over top saying, hey, this is illegal, we're going to test for it, you you know, you're going to take every advantage that you can. And yeah, like there might be, you know, you have the the aspect of public opinion and and, you know, your audience, what they think of you. But you get to a certain point, like with Gordon Ryan, it's like, all right, I mean, sure, you know, he's, you know, taking some special supplements. And, you know, even when he's out there matched up against Special other, supplements. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when he's out there going against someone else taking special supplements, it's like he's still better than that other person who's taking the special supplements. So... It, it almost becomes this thing like, well, look, if everybody's doing it, is it even cheating anymore? And right, if everyone's doing the see, same thing. The, the only issue I see with it though is that you have kids coming up in the sport and kids looking up to these guys, and you know, you, you have guys like like myself. I'm 45. Well, I don't know. I'll be 45 by the time this episode comes out. Um, mm -hmm. And and the thing is, like, I'm not built like Gordon Ryan. Uh, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to obtain that naturally. So, you know, then you get your 45-year-old your that's out there like, man, let me go out here and push myself here. And you're like, well, I guess the only way to really get to that next level is by make a trip down uh, to South America and get some supplements, wink, wink, and come back like, oh, my God, Dante. Like, you transform. You're, have, have you slimmed up? <laughs> nah, baby. I bulked up, um, <laughs> and and you know, and then it's like, you know, that there becomes this thing now of the way that you train. It's like, okay, sure, you got your technique that you can still fall back on, but it's like now your teammates who aren't who aren't doing that, and you're rolling yeah. with them. You know, what kind of detriment are you to them? Um. Uh, you know, in any capacity, or you know, then the next step is okay. Well, Dante's doing it. Well, then I'm going to go do it too. I guess it's also kind of an un unspoken thing too. You don't just go around saying, "Hey, hey so guess what I did? I went yeah. and got some steroids." You know, <laughs> yeah. So you're not necessarily talking about it, but I mean, people know. 
Yeah, I'd rather roll with the guy who smoked a joint than the guy who's on uh, <laughs> who's on oh, yeah, steroids. Sure. <laughs> and, and when I even really think about the people that I grapple with, it's like, you know, I might be getting my ass kicked, but I'm almost a thousand percent certain the people that are kicking my ass are all natural. You know, yeah. it's like, it's not like anyone's like, you know, jacked out of their mind or anything. It's just like, they're like younger guys that are legitimately strong. Yeah. Um, actually, I don't even think any of my teammates as far as, well, I also did a morning class. I think a lot of these cats are on like lunch break or something. So I don't even think anybody even smokes before class, which I'm okay with that too. I don't, it's not my cup of tea, but you know, if, if somebody comes in, they just got done smoking and they're like, all right, I'm ready to roll. It's like, all right, cool. I mean, that yeah. that's, you know, as long as you're not yeah. a detriment to our training. Yeah. What I don't understand is like, you'll see some people who are just going to like a local tournament and like, they seem to be doing some type of performance enhancing drug. And it's like, why? It's like, I don't, I don't yeah. understand why you would take the risks associated with that just to win a gold medal at a local tournament. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't know. It, I think that, that, I think that's a self, you know, thing at that point of like, well, you know, you do it you win and you feel like, yes, I'm the man. I did it. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I guess, I mean, there are three people in your bracket, dude. And I mean, that's only because they like you didn't have enough people, so they just grab two other people and say, Hey, go with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody looking at him like, Oh my god, like I wonder what that guy used to get arm. It's bigger than my leg. <laughs> um but it it's it is bizarre, but I also think it's just bizarre in general to do it. Um, so I don't know. It's you know, I can't really speak from an area of, of any real knowledge on it because I don't know anyone, I, at least I don't think I know anyone that, that takes any uh, performance enhancement drugs. But, they, you know, that only really takes you so far. Um, you know, yeah. so I think, you know, there are guys that, that get to that point. So it's like, yeah, I have this mindset and I'm working hard, but I need that extra kick. And then that's where they decide to you know, step it up a notch. And I, I wonder too, if it's a slippery slope, once you start, you really can't turn back or easily at least. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, what I, what people can gather from this conversation is say no to drugs. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Just I mean, say no. <laughs> look, say no to drugs, but every so often, if you want to have an edible and listen to some, some jazz in your basement. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm, that's cool. Is um, where you're in Baltimore, Maryland? Is that right? Uh, yep, yep. Roundabouts, about ten minutes off. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, in Canada, like weed is completely legal. I'm not sure what what are the laws there in regards to it. So federally, it's still illegal. Yeah. But in each of the states, it's a little different. Some states have legalized it. Legalized it here in Maryland. It did pass. Okay. And July first, it will be officially legal. Nice. So, um, it, it is, it's funny. I have. Oh, is great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's such I. a harmless drug. It's such a harmless drug. <laughs> I have a friend. Um, 
he lives in Oregon and just randomly like he, he used to live here and we we know each other through another friend who lives here in Maryland. Mm-hmm. And he and I, you know, we would message each other, just check in on each other, you know, how you doing? You know, we got along very well. One day he says to me, My birthday is coming up. He yeah. goes, Hey man, I'm gonna send you um a care package. I was like, Okay, cool. This was uh, I want to say 2015 or 2016. So I was like, okay, cool, cool, because I'm gullible. You know, oh, you send me a gift, sure. It, it could have been Anthrax, I don't know. But I was like, send it anyway. Um, my wife gets home, and I was at work still. I get a call. She goes, hey, so there's a package on the front step, and it smells like weed. And... I was like, oh, and I said, you know, the person's last. I was like, oh, that's so-and-so. Uh, yeah, just uh, put it in the kitchen. So I get home and, you know, it, it reeks. And I was like, oh, my oh, God, no. it's, it's legal in Oregon. Like, so at the time, it was only legal in Washington State, Oregon, and um, Colorado. Right. Um, and you know, I was like, dude, it may be legal in your state, but it's still federally illegal. You sent this through the U.S. Postal Service. We could have all, all gone to jail. Like, yeah. chill. You know, I wasn't angry. I was just like, chill. And then um, I opened it up. I was like, okay, cool. Um, it, you know, it was weed. And I was like, I, that's the thing. I don't smoke. So I was like, oh, that's really kind of you. So my brother came up and I just gave it to him. I was like, here, there you go, buddy. And then this same friend, he's like, hey, it's your birthday again. I'm going to send you another care package. I was like, hey, man, can you make sure, like, it doesn't smell completely yeah, like weed? proof that. Like, He's like, I, I don't want to sound ungrateful. Trust me. I, I, I appreciate it. Um, he, then he sent me uh, some gummies. And I was like, okay, all right. Now this is Dante's speed. Oh, like, because I love food. So you send me anything <laughs> that you can eat. Like, I'm like, okay, let's go ahead and eat these some bitches. And he's like, yum. He uh, sent me some chocolate. Um, and my wife's like, oh, we can mix these into brownies. So I was like, goddamn right, we can. And then uh, the gummies. <laughs> Because I'm a sucker for some gummy bears. Oh, yeah. And, and I think, what, what were these? These are like raspberry gummies. Oh, my God. They're so good. So I love um, watermelon. So, watermelon anything. So we have, um, what, what are they called? Um, Sour Patch Kids. The, um, watermelon gummy Sour Patch Kids. Yeah. Like, I think my wife and daughter just had those the other day. And they're, they're good. So yeah. put some weed into them. And I think they'll be a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Like for me, I have a, so I have a prescription for it. Um, nice. cause I have like arthritis everywhere. Um, so my husband's health plan actually pays for it. Um, <laughs> which is nice. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's a, it's such a harmless drug. It, if you look at it, it's like alcohol is way, way worse. Um, oh, yeah. like if you look at the list of addictive drugs, it's like, or addictive things like sugar is in the top mm-hmm. alcohol yeah. and mm-hmm. is it heroin? I think it's heroin. No. Yes. Uh, heroin. Yeah. 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 Her- so Those are like the th- heroin, three most addictive things. <laughs> I, I think like, is it heroin or not? Or maybe it's meth. It might be meth. <laughs> like one of the two is more addictive than marijuana. Well, yeah. all of them probably are. Um, but it's like it's so incredibly harmless, and it can it has a lot of 
benefits in terms of of pain. Um, there are some studies that say, oh, it's just it's just placebo. Uh, but whether it's possible yeah. or not, it's it's been proven to be very effective for pain, great for cancer, um, treating the symptoms of cancer treatment. And it's horrible how many people have gone to prison for possessing like or using a minuscule amount. It's really unfortunate. But I, I'm glad to hear that people are, are more coming around. And same thing for like mushrooms. Um, people are seeing the benefits yeah. for, for people with PS, PTSD. Um, and same thing with marijuana. Um, so that it's great to see that people are kind of being more open-minded about um, the use of natural substances to treat these things and psychedelic substances to treat these things. I agree. It's, it's funny being older now and thinking about drugs in, in that way for, for myself. It's like, you know, I think about kids today, they know so much more about just things and understanding of things. And I mean, part of that could be that the internet is like a full-blown resource to educate. Um, whereas when we we're younger, we had the internet and I think we had AOL, you know, chat rooms. That, that, yeah, that M- MSN. That was, yeah. that was it. <laughs> On Friday night, yeah, I, that's what people would do. Just be hanging out on yeah, there and yeah. on the chat room. Yep, just yeah. sitting there talking shit, and then you get into some argument with somebody like, "Yeah, meet me here," and then like you think like, "Maybe I shouldn't meet anybody nowhere. Like, <laughs> maybe they're unhinged. They might, I might disappear." But um, I mean, nowadays, you know, when you look at just drugs, you know, what they call drugs, you know, the illegal natural drugs. It's like there's so much benefit from all of it. Meanwhile, sugar is is readily available. And anyone that wants to argue against that, they can fuck all the way off. Look, I know that I'm addicted to sugar. Like, <laughs> I, I, I have big problems. I, I went to the doctor a couple of years ago and he goes, after the blood work, he goes, Mr. Dante, you're, um, uh, you're pre-diabetic. And I was like, mm. huh. Okay. So I, I left the appointment, went over to 7-Eleven, bought three honey buns. It was like, fuck it. Let's gun it towards the rocks. <laughs> and, you know, I, I did take it serious after, you know, a couple of days. I was like, all right, you know, I got to get it together. But it was hard for me to, yeah, you know, stop consuming so much sugar because it isn't everything. So Yeah, it is. You, I mean, that's the thing. You can't turn around that... without running into it. Um. So, like, in terms of, like, like substance use or in sub- substance abuse, like, in, in Canada, um, particularly in Ontario, when COVID hit, like, we had to keep the liquor stores open because we were trying to make sure that we weren't um, overloading the healthcare system. Um, so mm. it was very important that alcoholics were continuing to be able to get alcohol because if they went through withdrawal, then they would be adding more people into the healthcare system. So we basically, we, they decided it's like, okay, we have to make sure the liquor stores stay open <laughs> to make sure that these people don't go into withdrawal, which is really interesting. And then when you have, and, and like with weed users as well, if they're really heavy user, users, they can go through withdrawal as well. But I don't think you have that same 
risk of serious illness as you do with alcohol. For alcoholics, they can, if they're heavy users, they can die, right? If they discontinue their use right away. So, yeah, it, it's funny because it's like you can, alcohol is so common in our culture and has been legal, you know, for quite some time and has always, I mean, for the exception of prohibition, has always been used. Um, it was until, so for example, having alcohol within the liquids was the only w safe way to drink because, um, you know, just having water would essentially potentially kill you because people didn't know about bacteria and um yeah. so alcohol was a way of removing that and it wasn't until um people started having tea and coffee and learned that boiling water could also be another way of um preventing illness um in terms of drinking liquids and so some people credit that to the the enlightenment because now people could um, they would consume tea and coffee. And so that meant that people could stay up longer. They were, they're more um, alert. Um, yeah. And we kind of see the age of enlightenment kind of come around when people were, were starting to consume more coffee and tea. Back in my younger years, I got a DUI. And they're like, okay, well, look, man, you have to go to AA of Alcoholics Anonymous and you go there and I, you know I went there I was just quiet I you know you know I'm just sitting there observe you know observing everything and everyone's drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes it's it's like you like you basically got pulled away from one addiction and turned to another one being nicotine and caffeine you know yeah yeah. So sometimes people's brains are just wired that way, right? They're just yes. prone towards. And um, well, it's like with alcohol, basically, because you get the, the feel good emotion whenever you have it. Same thing with sugar. Um, mm -hmm. You get, you know, uh, a kick of what is it? Ser serotonin or. Um, serotonin. Yeah. Uh, the, the happy. Yeah. Happy, happy feelings. Uh, is serotonin. Yeah. Or, uh, dopamine, so you get a dopamine. kick. Dopamine. Thank you. You get like a kick of that every single time you have it. And so every when you don't have it, then your body expects it. And then you don't receive it. And then it's like, what's going on? It's like, give me, give me my kick. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so sometimes and people can kicks. feel kind of, yeah, it's like they feel low afterwards. And so they need to find something to, to replace it. And usually the strategy is to try and figure out, okay, when are you having this type of craving and what can you replace it with? So often like a healthy way of doing that is like, okay, instead of having, you know, this drug or having sugar or having alcohol, it's like go for a run. Or sometimes like I know for, for people who have alcohol, they'll immediately start wanting to have sugar and snacks. I know when I'm like not drinking, I have like a strong craving for sugar because <laughs> usually I'll get sugar from alcohol. Um, I know for, for myself, it's sugar is is the king of all. And it, again, it may not even be like I said, it may not even be the substance itself of being sugar. Um, it could just be that because 
my friend, I remember he joked with me once and it's kind of a shitty joke, but he's like, dude, I'm like, it, it just seemed that I didn't have any vices, you know, I didn't have a drinking problem, you know, growing up, I didn't have a smoking problem. You know, I didn't have any, um, you know, need for any of these substances. And he's like, dude, I'm going to get you addicted to something one of these days. And I, you know, I laughed at him. I was like, eh, whatever, dude. And then I guess I got older. I thought I was like, man, fuck you. <laughs> like, you're a shitty friend. You're going to get me addicted to it. Like, go away. Um, but I, I think just here in the U.S., especially with all the problems that we have here, you know, the least of any of the worries should be is, is weed. And, right. you know, the whole story behind that is just like the old fucking, you know, you know, boogeyman story, you know, of racism, you know, yeah. you, know you know, they keep saying, hey, you know, look at this drug that's making the blacks and the Mexicans, you know, do horrible things. And it's like, what? Yeah, that, that's not even true. So, um, yeah, so well, I think a, a part of that also was that um, hemp was a competitor for cotton and hemp. Yes. Uh, yeah, lasted longer, was basically a better material than cotton. Um, so they were like, well, weed makes, you know, these group of people, you know, that makes them inactive. And so but really, it's like they didn't want a competition for cotton so they're like yeah all of this stuff is bad <laughs> it looks the same and so we should get rid of all of it um so so went the the story that uh weed makes people crazy um or lazy mm -hmm. um yeah it's all propaganda yeah. <laughs> i had a friend well my wife's friend once we're sitting around and she mentioned her husband's friend it's like, well, he smokes weed and he's lazy. And it's like, well, <laughs> did you ever stop to think that just maybe he's lazy? Yeah. <laughs> like Michael, Michael Phelps smokes weed too, and he won all the gold medals in the Olympics one year. So yeah. it, it's, you know, they, these two don't equate. So, you know, before you believe propaganda, why don't you, you know, read a book and stop watching, you know, 24 hour news, you know, channels and, and understand that hey, maybe weed is helping people. Now, now her tune has changed, which is good. You know, I, I'm not one of the kind of people that say, "Oh, well, no, you felt this way before; you can never change your mind." No, we—that's the beauty of humans. We get to, you know, learn and change our opinions and grow. Um, I mean, when I was, you know, younger and made a lot of dumb decisions, I used to say, "Man, organic food is stupid." Right. Like, who wants healthy food? Give me some, MF, uh, you know, MSG and and trans fats. I need all all of the trans fats. Now I'm like, man, I love those organic from tomatoes. They delicious. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, we're we're free to like change our opinions over time. Yeah. So you know, I'm Absolutely. glad that this friend she gets it now. She's like, oh, weed isn't that bad now. It's like, yeah, yeah. it's told you. <laughs> Yeah, totally. <laughs> so true. Wow. Yeah. See, I told you. I told you this is how the podcast goes. Yeah. <laughs> we, we started one place and then we end up way over here talking about weed and hemp and and cotton and paper and yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I know. Um, it's funny how conversations go like that. It's just like they can 
Um, mm. You can go in any direction, really, such as the web. <laughs> that that is true, um, but I think that is a beauty, beautiful part about humans and and communication is that you know here we are, two total strangers, and like, hey, let's record a podcast episode together. Okay, cool. And this could have gone one or two ways. Way number <laughs> one, it could have been very, very straightforward. Like, so um, why did you start jujitsu? When did you start jujitsu? How do you like jujitsu? Cool. We're done in 35 minutes. Or we could just start talking. And here we are, you know, about 30, uh, uh, hour, 30 minutes in. And, you know, it's cool in the gang. Yeah. Uh, it's a, I do like the free form kind of way of, uh, you know, the way this is coming about. I guess Joe Rogan kind of popularized it. Um, yeah. But I, I sure. think it, it's a much nicer experience overall. It's also, it's just like, it puts less pressure, I guess, on the person who might be on. Because if it's like a straight question, then you feel like, the need to say a straight answer but if it's just kind of a conversation then you're able to just communicate what's on your mind um mm -hmm. yeah that that part's really nice yeah i i was telling my grandma recently because i'm gonna have her my grandfather on the podcast soon i love <laughs> that both... yeah well <laughs> so i said to my grandma i was like i want to have you guys on because um, she goes because we're old. And I was like, well, no, I was gonna say you're seasoned, but I mean, how old are they? Uh, my grandma will be 93 on the 25th of February. Oh my gosh, my, my grandfather's grandpa, 98. Ooh, yeah, see, and that's what I mean. Those individuals in their 90s, they have seen so much. So, those are the people I know. It's like, let's talk to them. Um, yeah, um. I told, I told my grandma, I was like, I'm not very good with interviewing people. So when you guys come on, we're just going to have a conversation. She goes, well, you might want to get good with interviewing people then. I was like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, I really, I wish I could, like, I want to get my grandfather just to record and talk about his life. Because um, it's like he's seen, like, World War II, like, when he was a kid. Um, like there was still horse and buggy in the middle of Toronto, right? Like not everybody Ooh. had a car. It's crazy. And then, you know, they see the, the moon landing and my grandfather has an iPhone and um, <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah, I think it's lovely that you would interview your, your, your grandparents because uh, that's, it's like they have so much to share and I'm sure they, a wealth of experience or experiences in which to share yeah. the thing about people and like i think that older people generally do want to share and it's wonderful that you're, you'll be able to give them kind of a platform to tell their story because it's like honestly any any person who's 90 plus they got stories <laughs> okay. i assure you for sure i'm excited to have them on and it, like really it's it's really more so a chronicle for my daughter um yeah because she loves family she loves my grandparents and i want to have that 
archive for her mm-hmm. to hear later on in life. And then I'm yeah. going to, I think I'm going to ask my in-laws to be on, but I know my wife will probably veto that, but <laughs> I just feel like I have to do it. Um, more so again for my daughter, but. Um, um, I'm curious about what I, you mentioned earlier that you had questions written down. Did I answer all of them? Or were yes, there like some, some curveballs? <laughs> Nope, nope, they're all, see, so whenever there's the first episode that anyone's on, I always try to just keep it, like, very, very linear and just, like, straightforward, um, because the, the thing that I don't like to do is I don't like to uh, make people uncomfortable. Right, So yeah. I try to ask questions that I know are going to be comforting questions, and then, like, once we kind of get that, that rapport built, and it's like, oh, okay, cool, you know, you know, I, I see where we can joke here, we can joke there, this might be too serious. And then it's like, okay, mm. hey, I definitely want to have you on for, you know, another episode. And then when we come for the next episode, you know, business as usual conversation, but there might be like, you know, different questions in there that might be not necessarily a curveball for discomfort, but so, you know, probably like, you know, digging more into your your competition history, stuff like that. We're still very straightforward, but, you know, sometimes people might be, you know, uncomfortable talking about that. So it's like, mm. you know, you kind of get engaged, though. It's like, hey, I, you know, I want to ask you this question. If, you know, you, you know, I can kind of sense, if, you know, how you answer. It's like, okay, I won't continue to pursue that topic. But right. the questions that I had here, um, you were answering them. As, as you're answering them, I was just marking them off on the paper. It's like, oh, okay. okay, I don't have to right, do that. Right, right. I don't have to do that. Let's see here. Yeah, I mean, the only one question I had on here, I guess we did kind of answer it a little bit, but in a roundabout way, was like, it was just kind of your thoughts on modern martial arts, you know, mm. and where it's at. Because, you know, as you're going through all the various, uh, you know, forms of martial arts, you know, it, it, it's almost kind of like in this ideal of martial arts today, it, it's almost kind of like it's, Messed everything together really into MMA, mixed martial arts. Right. You know, I guess you know my question is, you know, what are your thoughts on just kind of that that principle? You know, whether it be UFC, One FC, Bellator, just MMA. You know, the organizations in themselves. Right. Um. So I think the looking at modern martial arts, the biggest impacting factor on it is stuff like this, like the internet being able to capture video and share it to a mass audience like people are no longer ignorant of different things so for example like if you look 100 years ago in order to learn a martial art you had to know someone who knew a martial art it wasn't even necessarily something that was sold well i guess now we're so if we look at like 1920 something there was maybe some judo clubs maybe but really, it was very obscure. Um, now it's everywhere. Like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is one of the most popular sports in the world. Um, and that's in large part to one, um, you know, the Gracies, you know, going to televised events and um, kind of proving their system. And then also just you see everything's on Instagram. Everything's video and image based. Um, and it's impossible for people not to learn things even just like even some people who are um 
just athletically gifted and they're they're very good visual learners they can watch a youtube video and learn how to do a choke effectively they can learn how to do a punch effectively um particularly if they they practice with other people and, and test it out like my brother um who also wrestled um my other brother who also wrestled um like he he he's an excellent jiu-jitsu practitioner and he's never really done jiu-jitsu um, he's just done wrestling and he watches YouTube videos and, you know, he can apply a heel hook and he has a really good rubber guard, but nice. you know, that's just cause he's, he's watched stuff and he can learn that way. Um, so nowadays it's kind of like you need to, to know martial arts cause even people who don't go to a martial arts school know some form of martial arts just by watching. So that, that's definitely changed things. Like I know um, if we talk about self-defense, like within whether it's karate or jiu-jitsu or Krav Maga, we are, we're, we're thinking about applying this stuff on someone who is untrained. For me, as a, as a female blue belt, it is unrealistic for me to expect to be able to beat a blue belt who is male. Generally, if we're at the exact same level, they're going to have attributes that will beat me. Strength, speed, bone density. So it's generally, we're looking at it from the perspective as someone, I you'll be able to beat someone without training or less training than you anyways. Um, at least that's the hope. <laughs> but um, looking at, so I, I actually, so I'm in St. Catharines and... Um, uh, I train part-time at uh, an MMA gym, and we actually have a, a Bellator fighter there and a UFC fighter there. So I, I'll sometimes I'll train jiu-jitsu. Like at my main club is in, in Oakville, uh, Octa BJJ, but I'll sometimes train um, at Niagara Top Team um, for jiu-jitsu. Um, and then I'll also do the, the boxing club or do the boxing there. And then I, I also train boxing with someone on Saturday and kickboxing on Saturday somewhere else. But yeah, it's it's been interesting to see the sport develop because it used to be just one martial art against a different martial art. And then people realized, you know, as we all know now, it's like in order to be to win, you have to have everything, right? My personal opinion is that if you have Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you're probably good. <laughs> you're good to go. Um, I don't think there's any better form of, of impacting than, um, you know, doing Muay Thai. And then, of course, Jiu-Jitsu is, is right now king of grappling and then having wrestling and or Judo um, in order for takedowns. But, yeah, if you have, have those main things and you're good to go. I, that's, you know, for the longest time, I've always said, look, if you know jujitsu and Muay Thai, you, you're in a pretty good spot. I mean, yeah. you pepper in some jujitsu, uh, some wrestling, some judo, and you're a problem for everyone. Uh, yeah. So, that, you know, I, I, I love watching MMA. I love watching martial arts, period. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it, and that's more so now in recent years. I mean, growing up as a kid, you know, we had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We had the Karate Kid. So that was the extent of our 
you know, knowledge of martial arts. And then once the UFC came about, you know, it starts to expand a little bit more than the, you know, the later UFC when you get like the ultimate fighter, you know, you got Brock Lesnar, then you start seeing a UFC fight pass and they got different uh, events on or kickboxing and stuff like that. It's like, Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So it's so accessible right now because of the internet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So yeah, we, I mean, I think we're in a good spot moving forward for, towards the future with with martial arts and the internet and what it can provide us. So, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, yeah, don't get back. I wonder. I wonder if um, because like pro wrestling was like really popular, and that's what like I feel like UFC, pro wrestling, boxing, um, like like um in ancient rome like they used to have people in the pit and they'd have to like fight their li- for their lives against um like a lion is like this is kind of fulfilling that bloodthirst that our, our humans have um where we're just like we just want to watch people kind of tear each other apart in the middle of a ring it's very kind of a very primal thing that we have um oh, yeah. yeah so it's just like a modern day version of that yeah, I mean, you see it here. Um, at least I see it whenever I go out to like the local bar to watch a, a UFC fights. They'll have the fights on, and yeah. you'll, you know, uh, more, more often than not, I say 90% of the people are there for the fights, but the other 10% just happen to be there. And they're like, you know, they just want to see, like, oh, the fight goes to the ground, stand them up, you know, like. We want to see blood. We want to see chaos. Yeah. And it's like, you know, meanwhile, there are two grapplers on the ground actually doing like beautiful jujitsu. And, yeah. you know, you got this drunken guy screaming, you know, stand up and bang, bro. Like, <laughs> okay. But, but I mean, like where we are now as, as a society, you know, yes, there's still that primal desire to watch two people get into a cage or an arena and, and fight, whether it be boxing, you know, or, or professional wrestling, you know, in the seventies, you know, going into the eighties, there's always this feel when you watch pro wrestling, you know, Oh, maybe it is real. It seems real the way they're performing, you know, then once you got to the nineties and kind of, you know, pulled the, you know, the curtain back and said, Hey, it's, it's sports entertainment. It's not actually real. The matches are predetermined. And for people to say wrestling, you know, pro wrestling is real, correct. It is not a real fight in the sense of there's a winner or a loser. There is a script. But those guys and gals take real falls. They do get oh, yeah. hurt for real. They're stunt, they're stunt people. And mm-hmm. they take real bumps. So, you know, anyone who, who turns their nose up to them and says, oh, it's not real. I mean, it's like, well, you go out there and take the bumps that they take. And then you tell me how you feel the next day. It, it's real. It's just the outcomes are not real. You know, they yeah. are predetermined. So yeah, people sure. need to chill. But, you know, as time went on, you know, we ended up getting MMA. And here we are now today with just, you know, I, I don't even want to say it's oversaturated just yet. But um, I do like that we have other options. Like with on Amazon, we get to watch one championship. Showtime, we get to watch Bellator. UFC mm. still has a bunch of stuff on Fight Pass with our LFA and CFFC. 
So they're different federations. I think like Alaska Fighting Championship, Alaskan Fighting Championship, which from time to time I watch that just because it's like Alaska. Why the fuck not? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it, it's all good times. Yeah, it's all all fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, look, Jennifer, I've had you here now for over two hours. Oh, yeah. So, and a lot of it was me trying to fix my internet again. So, (laughs) it wasn't uh, that long. It was like 15 ish minutes. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Look, we're going to do this again. And I promise you, next time, internet will be working properly. We will do this the way that it should have been done in the first place on the laptop. And it's going to be a just as good a time as it was today. So uh, before we get out of here, you have any uh, shout outs or mentions that you want to drop for us? Oh, yeah, sure. I didn't even think about that before. But um, if people want to check out my blog, it's themartialartsmuse.com. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me again at The Martial Arts Muse. Um, And I share like just kind of quirky and funny videos it's basically me being a little bit of a cheese ball um and sometimes i'll i'll say something enlightening as well um and then also if you're interested you can check out uh my clubs my bjj clubs uh instagram which is octa bjj official um so yeah so give those a follow and yeah check out the blog and thank you very much for having me no, thank you for making time and being my guest. I'll make sure to put um, your info in the show notes as well. Um, and um, yeah, once this goes out, you're going to get tagged and mentioned um, all week. So just a heads up. Don't be alarmed. It's just, you know, if you log on and see like, oh, BJJ Wiki has tagged you again. It's <laughs> I'm, I'm not being a creep. I'm just promoting the podcast, promoting the product. Um, oh, it's all good. I, I'm a digital marketing specialist, so as well, so totally understand all that. Ah, uh-uh. see, see, it's it's <laughs> it, this digital world we're in. So, <laughs> uh, and for everyone else listening, as always, thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Thank you for putting up with me. If you made it this far, and you're you're hearing my audio on my end. Because I'm using my Bluetooth. Thank you for your patience. I love you to death. <laughs> uh, I want to give a big shout out to my crew over there at Nerd Rage Radio Bobby, Chris, Joe, Marilyn, Phil, Ricky, Tiki, uh, Raul. Uh, and I need to bring the mug down here so I can just read off everyone's name. Um, everyone from Nerd Rage Radio, I love you guys. That's where I got my start with podcasting. Um, if this comes out before my birthday, then I'm going to be trying to make an appearance on it. If it comes out after my birthday, I've already been on there. But either way it goes, um, I, lo- I love you guys. Thank you. Also, another shout out to my other podcast, So You Like Horror. Uh, we talk about horror movies. If you're into that kind of stuff, go give it a listen. Um, Instagram account, So You Like Horror. All the words are separated by underscores. Go check it out. We've been talking about horror through the decades, and we just got done with the 1930s. We're going to jump to the 40s. And we're moving forward. We're going to the future, y'all. It's going to be fun to find out about horror through the decades. Um, um, and last but not least, let me give another uh, quick shout out to our guest here, Jen Thompson, the martial arts muse. Uh, thank you for making time for us and 
be sure to go check out on Instagram and check out the blog. I, I've been reading through a blog. I've actually been learning a little bit there and just kind of getting some, some words of wisdom too. So thank you, uh, Jen, again. And as always, you all keep listening and we're going to keep making shows. Thank you, everyone. And bye. Now let me see so